You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum And kick old trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick old trouble out the door Kick him 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 out the Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. It will be podcast within the next 24 hours. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Kelly, the world's greatest producer, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, Joe? Look, I'm, I, I feel... The world's greatest... Uh, bullshit artist. wing shock jock. Yes, shock jock. <laughs> I was... Um, do you like that distraught one? today. I was distraught. Distraught. Well, you've turned things around because you're not distraught now. Well, I am distraught. I, I was sitting on the couch waiting for you, as At I home? do. No, here. Oh, here. <laughs> At home, that's 200 kilometres away. And Greg walks in and he starts, Greg Siegel, you know, the great Greg Siegel. The great the, technician. Who knows everything. Scenes, who knows everything. The Wizard of Oz behind the, the curtain. Of, yeah, and he starts asking me technical questions about this program like things about a thing called dinner sat and he had to do major surgery on something and i just looked at him and i said greg just ask kelly when she comes have you sorted it out sorted it out great now we have a 3cr icon here today jack bully how are you jack what's wrong with being a 3cr ornament i'm not sure about that either well we we have a when, when you go back 2,000 years with 3CR, I go back only three and a half years. <laughs> yeah, but you're still like an ornament. I mean, every volunteer has a little bauble mm-hmm. on the uh, 3CR oh. New Year tree. Oh. We have a new, and we just, and you're on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what year were you born, Jack? In 43, in the middle of the war. Excuse me? 1943. 43. Yeah. I feel young again. Good. I was born good. in 51. <laughs> hey, hey. After the you war. very good for your it's, age. It's good, it's good to meet a junior. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, there's two juniors. Look, I know you, this is hard to believe, but Kelly's uh, in her early 40s. I know she looks much older, but... Okay, know. okay. Yeah. I'm open for donations. In, open. Four, in, four, in four weeks is my 80th birthday. 80th so birthday. Go. Yeah, have you got any... As I said, open uh, for donations. Is the family going to organise something? I haven't got a clue. You haven't got a clue. Since I'm not the organizer of that, I'm just grow- I'm just growing old. You're just growing old. So uh, you're are you growing old badly or gracefully? Who's Grace? 
exactly. Yeah, they, they say Christ. a lot of things about doing this or that with Grace, yeah. but I never met Grace. You never met Grace. I was actually mm. looking at a picture of Mr. Murdoch with his oh. new girlfriend, uh, 65, oh. and you look much, although he's 91, you look 500% better than he does, you know. Thanks for the comparison. No, 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 but <laughs> uh, just a physical comparison, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. Obviously, I'm not talking about the intellectually and morally. That's a, that's uh -huh. a, diff that's a different point. Oh, dear. Now, Jack, where were you born? In Belgium, in, uh, in Belgium. the Flemish part of Belgium. Flemish. Now, what would, a lot of people get a bit confused about Belgium. I've been to Belgium and they speak French and Flemish and yes, German. My, what, my, what's going on? What type of country is it? It's a federal country, uh -huh. a, a bit a Flemish-speaking, a French-speaking and a German-speaking bit. Mm. Uh, the German-speaking bit was uh, where we had our request to this country by giving you Mr. Corman. Mm. Because that was the part where he was born, right? Oh. And uh, where I was born was in the oldest town in Belgium, going back uh, to about fifty, what we still call BC. Excuse me, BC. Yeah. So was it a, a Roman colony? Was it? It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And uh, you know, Julius Caesar himself came to knock the Eberons over the head. Right. And what's it and called? The, the, the town. What Tongeren. Tongeren, Tongeren. Tongeren, which oh. is, uh, comes from the uh, old Germanic tribe, mm -hmm. which he invited to come and settle there right. after he had killed off the Iberons, right. which you can't leave empty spaces because that's where the enemy comes in. Well, that's right. And you, so need, you need taxation it, revenue yeah, too, you know, and you need right. soldiers. And, all of that. Yeah. And so it was Atuatuka Tungrorum, which mm. means the, mm. the, the the reinforced space of the Tungrai, which was this, mm. the, the tribe he had invited mm. over from Germania to come and live mm. there. Mm. So that's where that comes come from. from. Five kilometres south of where I come from, everyone speaks French. French. 30 kilometres east of where I come from, everyone speaks German. So what's the You turn up the radio and there's 60% chance that you hear English. Right, but Flemish, <laughs> tell me about... The Dutch, Flemish. Dutch. Tell me it's Dutch, is it? It's Dutch. Right. I was just explaining to uh, yeah, yeah. Kelly that uh, the, the difference is only in the pronunciation, really. Mm. The rest is all the same. Right. Vocabulary the same. Well, they used to be one united low countries, in, didn't they? The, before the 1830s, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Is that the yeah. Spanish that was the, the, yeah, but it was also artificially created in order to keep Napoleon inside of, Frank, of France. Right, there right. was a creation Napoleon. of the yeah. There was a creation of the mm. of the main European powers to keep Napoleon at home, All right. rather than sort of. Let's happen. talk about something more interesting. <laughs> Your parents, yeah. Well, um, obviously, the war greatly affected them. Mm -hmm. So, what was it like growing up as a young boy? in Belgium post-war? Mm. Belgium is actually it's important to just say that first because it explains without me having to explain later. It's a, Belgium is a bit of a, a country of small shop owners, that mentality. Mm. I think Karl called it, called it petit bourgeois, but mm. Uh, mm. probably even that is... Yes, nice. when I was in Greece many years ago and living with the anarchists in mm -hmm. Xeria, they said the dream of every Greek is to actually own a little shop and sell mm. to the person next door to them. Yeah. So it's the yeah. same in Belgium. And, and particularly also mm. sell to him or her, but mm. also hate him or her. Oh, hate? Well, I like that. That. It's that kind of, because you're yeah. in competition, and yeah. that type yeah. of competition on that right. level is sometimes very fierce. Mm. So my father was uh, part of the court system, 
And uh, my family itself was a very interesting combination of my father being your only child and my mother being one of 12. And so that's interesting dynamic, as you can imagine. Mm. And so uh, for the first one and a half years, I lived with my grandma because my mother was in hospital. And uh, uh, that meant that I got all the love of at least seven aunts, right. not, not yet married aunts. Yes. Which also was a really, it was good. It was good for me during mm -hmm. the war. It was wartime. Yeah. Yes. And uh, my growing up after that in youth, I think six, seven, eight, Belgium is also very Catholic, was very Catholic at that stage. Uh, about 60% of all schools are Catholic schools. It's not like here that they are considered private schools because they are fully funded by the state, mm -hmm. exactly like the non-Catholic schools. And so uh, altar boy uh, from the year, from, from six years onwards, mm -hmm. because there was a convent just opposite to where we lived, and they needed a boy to be an altar boy. Oh, well, yes, yes. Because girls couldn't do that at that right. stage. And so mm -hmm. that's sort of like graduating to becoming part of the choir. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, all of, all of those kinds of, of but, things. But can you sing? I could sing. You I think could now sing. I croak. You croak, but you could sing. I could, well, yeah, I had uh, a soprano uh, voice, and mm, uh, then mm. that transformed to a sort of a... I assume, I assume you were Christianed? You, became, you were christening? You had christening? You had christening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah baptism, christening? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. When, when did you start questioning? It was never really questioning as questioning. It was much more a slowly learning other things, uh, which then eventually... Made me say, "What was that all about?" Right, but, you know, right. it, it, it was not that kind of deeply sort of <laughs> kind of way of mm, questioning. Mm. Oh my God, my! It, it and all the don't forget. Oh well, you probably may forget or not have known, but uh, Catholicism at that stage in the mid to late fifties, they were just in an absolute fantastic revolution. John uh, John the twenty third, right. which turned the church inside out. Yeah. And uh, it meant that a whole variety of things which before that were not really um, possible to even think because you had to go to confession That's right. uh, became suddenly possible to think. Yeah, I remember uh, one day mm -hmm. I didn't understand a word that was said in Mass because it was Latin. Yep. And the next week mm -hmm. I could understand some because it was in English, yeah. just like that. Yeah. But see, the, the mm. thing is, uh, John, it also has a lot of, of, of good things to it. That's why that questioning of mine, if it was there as a kind of a conscious thing, yes. was always uh, sort of like, I don't know what to call it, uh, it became tempered by the good things yes. which uh, I mm. experienced in the Catholic Church. That's right. You know, as an older boy and then, uh, then later in the choir, I learned Latin. Which then was amplified in the in my high school, which I where I did six years of Latin, five years of Greek, twelve years twelve years of French, mother right. tongue, three years of English. So there was a lot of really Jacques, good I'm things. Very, as, yeah, Jack, yeah. I'm very frightened. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to make <laughs> Kelly and I seem like little people. Okay. How many languages do you speak? Or understand. <laughs> I, I probably understand about 12 or 13. 12 or 13, yes. I see. speak, if I would, very fluently, mm. four. Four. Mm. Uh, with uh, sort of some quietness, probably seven or eight. So those, 
You speak fluently. Yes, she's on the floor. She can't believe it. These young people don't understand that the, the classic education was a very good education. They just think that we, all we did was get straps from the priests, you know, the nuns. You know, it happened, but we, we did learn quickly. So yeah. when, I'm interested in this because you say you speak four languages fluently. Mm-hmm. I mean, I speak two fluently. Yeah. Well, one fluently. Yeah, mother tongue, yeah, which yeah. is Dutch Flemish. Yeah. French. So when you speak them fluently, you don't think, do you? You just speak them. You yeah, don't. Yeah, there's yeah. no. I think in the language I speak. Yeah, and the, I, and the yeah. other seven or eight, do you have to stop um, and think? Probably a little bit more. Although you see, because of the Latin degree and 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 the French, which mm. came very early, yeah. access to the Romance languages mm. is quite easy, and therefore. Mm. There's a lot of similarities in terms of the, uh, you know, the root of the words and all mm. of that, and you fabricate the rest in your head. Yeah, uh, it's uh, mm. yeah, it's not not difficult. What are the others? Just out of curiosity. Uh, well, there's the four: are Dutch, French, German, and English. I lived for ten years in Germany. I uh, lived five years in the States. Came here in '85. Uh, did another course earlier in '70, also in English. So. Uh, that then became more because that's all where I now do my writing in, where I do most of my talking in now, except at home we speak German because my partner is German. Mm. Uh, when I was in, lived in Germany, sixty from uh, seventy to eighty, mm. Uh, mm. you know, met my partner and had three kids. Yeah. So that became then the second. The, not even sure what I should call it. it. You can't numerate it in first, second, because no, you, no, it's all. you use them all the time. That's right. And uh, the other ones is uh, Spanish and, uh, mm. and and Italian. Italian. Look, we're not going to have enough time for the interview. You understand <laughs> fair that? Fair enough. Thank, yeah. thank you, thank you. Move you never on. ask that question. Yeah, we will never finish this interview. I it's Chuck six, just be able to you know, give like, me like a list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After, after, oh, we can have a oh, list. Okay. Now, did you have any brothers and sisters? Two sisters. Are they still alive? One older, one, older, one younger. Are they, still, are they, yep. they, they, yep. live, in, they live in Belgium yes, still? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Do you we go all, back often? No. No. Can't afford it. And, uh, right. And also, I just don't like that long flying anymore. And right. flying generally, um, you know, we should probably minimise our flying around the place with mm. airplanes. Mm. So, so I don't. Uh, the, I was flying quite a bit uh, for about let's say, 20 years, mm. uh, and I can tell that story later. When I quit university, yes, I did yes. all manner of other international mm. things. Mm. Did a lot of work in Hong Kong, mm. and uh, so... Well, let's go back, let's go back. Let's yeah. let's be a little bit orderly. This, this yeah. interview's breaking down, it's not very orderly. <laughs> all right, <laughs> so you go to high school, you do brilliantly. Mm. What happens after that? Uh, first, because, yeah, but my father was not really really understanding what it was that I started to think, which oh, is right. what often yeah. happens with fathers, I suppose, with their sons. And, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, so he said, uh, you know, son, you know, you, I pay you your university as you did then. Mm. was not a lot of money anyway because it was just staying in Leuven in the, in the uh, university city. And uh, he said, you're good at languages, he said. <laughs> well, why don't you become a teacher? Because right. teacher is, you know, you start in, at 23 or something like that, and you've got a job till the end of your life. Mm. And uh, I said, okay, dad. Right. And uh, so I went, and after three years, three months of doing Germanic languages at mm. University of Leuven, 
I just was so disinterested. I was interested in philosophy and interested in all of those things, but not in middle, high German of some, which was what the first and second year of that. Uh, so you said, did you father say, I'm not paying fees anymore, go to work? Then we, no, 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 no. So I, I, I did not do well in that first year. Right. Almost by plan, by by, mm. by deliberation, mm. and then uh, after that year, I said, "I want to, I want to do social work because my sister had become a social worker before, right. and I liked the stuff she was doing. You know, she was working in the mining area, working with a lot of international families, Italians, lots of Italians, lots of Greeks, lots of mm. everything, mm. and I liked that kind of way of doing things. And so uh, he then, my father, let me do social work." And social work, uh, the cause I took, was happening in a very interesting place. It was the uh, the, the Catholic Workers' Movement School oh, of Social Work. fascinating, yeah. was uh, basically started with Cardinal Cardain, who started the Young Christian Workers. And that was really an, an important part because sort of three things mainly happened to me. And it was not that deep questioning you were suggesting in the beginning. Yes. It was mm. much more... Uh, three things which were happening in the wider environment. First was the revolution in the Catholic Church. When you have a Pope who tells you, hey guys, this is your church, fill it with life, you bloody well do it. Mm. I probably shouldn't say... It's all right. Yeah, wipe bloody out. Yeah. And uh, the second thing which happened was the uh, the Congo. Yes. You know, Belgium was uh, colonizing power of Congo mm. for 80-something mm. years. Yes. Did atrocious things, which we never learned of. No. We always thought that we were the best Col the, colonial the best masters. Colonizers just like world. us, just like the Australians. We were the best. Well, yeah. The best ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Better than the problems we were, and better than the oh, you, you, yeah, you, you were better than yeah. us you know, We gave them Jesus Christ, and we gave <laughs> yes. them health, and all of those mm. things. You see mm. the kind of thing. Mm. And then suddenly, uh, they get at our throats in 1960, and, yes. uh, you know, kill, and they killed one another in yes. the hundreds of thousands. Yes. So that was deep, really, because I had an uncle and an aunt who had been working in Congo mm. for 15 years, and yes. uh, they always came back after three years and brought us little presents, a little bit of ivory, this and all. Yes. that. So your uncle, bad. That, so that's the kind of things which then happened. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, things started to, to uh, be written about Belgium. Yes. Between 4 and 12 million people killed in That's the first right. 25 years of yes. uh, colonization. Just so, extraordinary. Wow. Extraordinary and brutality that. Yeah, absolutely. Has, Abs um, has, uh, mm. The world was really not aware of. Absolutely. And uh, absolutely. King Leopold, who was mm. his personal mm -hmm. colony, didn't belong. 25 years. Didn't I belong know. to Belgium. I know. It belonged know. to the Belgium king. Belgium said no, they didn't want it. Yeah, they didn't even want it. No, it belonged to the king. And the, the atrocities which were carried Terrible out. Terrible stuff. And there are videos of that period, mm -hmm. the 1910s and 1920s, the mutilations, mm -hmm. the amputations, yeah. the murders, Terrible stuff. the starvation, yeah. all for rubber. Yeah, that's right. All for rubber. Yeah, and the third thing which happened was mm. Vietnam. Yes. And so during my sort of you know years at, at Leuven, mm. first demonstrations, then I decided to become a pacifist and therefore... Belgium at that stage still had uh, 18 months of military service uh, and I, uh, instead they offered the possibility of doing three-year volunteering work in a developing country because mm. that also coincided with the development decades which the United Nations had started to celebrate with mm. all of the independence. Uh, so where did you go? 
at the, I went to Congo for three years. What, what, what period was this? That was 66 to 69. What was it like? Uh, they were the best learning years of my life. Uh, if, when you say like, that, that related mm. to me. Mm. And uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that I like like no, no, it. but what, what, was, what, was, really what was the experience like? A really important experience, mm. uh, you know, for the first time, learning other ways of thinking, other ways of making sense of your life, uh, and, and growingly as well, also trying to understand what it was that we Belgians had done, and uh, trying to understand what it is that those people there must have been thinking around that mm. because there was still that veneration of the white man and the white this and the white that um, but but it was really important really important learning for me mm. how, how, how did it cha- did it change you and if it did how did it change you it did change me in a way that I wasn't that quick anymore with having an opinion that I wasn't it wasn't I wasn't that rash in terms of um, making judgments about stuff, uh, it made me also really want to know more. Mm. And uh, so the thing is that uh, as the Belgians organized those kinds of programs, they put, they gave, they put for volunteers some a certain amount of money mm-hmm. monthly in, a, in, a, uh, in an account, which after three years you and, and help with the reacculturation you could use for whatever it was that you needed it for. And mm. I invested it in uh, a year of study mm. in The Hague, right. in Holland. Where in what type of study? That was the, uh, the uh, Institute for Social Studies. Right. And I did a, a postgraduate diploma in community development and social planning. But mm. the most important thing there was uh, there was 120 participants paid for by the the by the Dutch uh, st- uh, state basically, mm. and uh, the 80 nationalities, uh, mostly developing countries right. representatives, mm. and for me the most important learning there was really walking alongside these people, and trying for myself to to come to terms with the contradiction. You know, there you are doing development and at the same time you knew that started to know more and more that that was really not what the issue was. That's right. You know, that well, this is a great period of national liberation movements yeah, across absolutely. all around the yeah. world. You know, all the colonising yeah. powers began to lose their colonies yes. and, uh, yeah. and they attempted then to recreate the colonies in their own image that's right. and that's what you're that's talking right. about and that, yeah. and that development the development yeah. thing yeah. which became yeah. the major kind of uh, what people needed what nations yeah. who, that had been colonized mm. needed to do yes. in order to become part of the, the world the, the real world that's right yeah. and so, so so where did you go after Hague? after the Hague, you finished that well, course. Well, uh, I was running across Europe for a bit. Yeah, and what, just holidays money. or did and working? Then, no, well, uh, because of the studies there, yeah. uh, I met various people who then invited me to come and share my yeah, experiences. What a life, in what a life, that what a life. Yeah. But, but still, after mm. after five, six months, the yeah. money ran out. Yes. And I then learned direct, indirectly via the organisation I had mm. been working with in Congo, mm. that uh, a group uh, in 
again, another Catholic yes. development group in Freiburg in Germany, mm-hmm. that they needed someone to come and teach about community development. Right. So I just drove down there and said, hello, you, you want me? And they took me. <laughs> For how many years? Uh, well, that was an interesting experience because the part of that was uh, preparation of volunteers to go and work in developing countries and Another part was that I then started to teach in the School of Social Work of Caritas, Germany, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, Caritas is same as here. Yep. And uh, that was also a very interesting time in 71. Uh, you know, that was big revolutionary big times revolutionary and all time, of that. That's right, yes. And uh, very much also starting to think about uh, what was going on in Freiburg, which is a rather conservative, very Catholic kind of, of area in Germany. And uh, there was a group of about 15, well, several things, but 1,500 gypsies who had their winter quarters there. And they lived in atrocious kind of situations, really, really criminal. And so we did a lot of activist work around that Mm -hmm. with the students. I was then a teacher. And, of course, that goes well until the... Caritas directors uh, from their mates who were running the local council of Freiburg, also Christian Democrats, Mm. uh, that what I do, what I was being part of. So they, after one year, wanted to kick me out. And then the entire school goes on strike and my colleague said, if he goes, we go. That was the sense of solidarity which was so, you know, tangible at the... It was tangible uh, in that in the, period. It in was. the early 70s. Mm. So they gave me another year, and then I was gone. Yeah, gone uh, where? Well, uh, after about six months or so of doing some uh, consulting work, mm. we would now call it, uh, a friend from Munich uh, who was working then at the... And I had met in a similar activist in housing and mm. homelessness kind of thing. Uh, in in Munich, and he came over, had come over to Freiburg to help out with certain things as well. Who got a job at the University of Kassel, which was a, polit- a new polytechnic, which was uh, at that stage part of the reform of education in Germany, where they tried to do the more applied uh, institute of technology to amalgamate with traditional universities, yes. mm. and the University of Kassel was one of those. And so uh, I got a job. Uh, one of four, no, actually initially two, and then four planners of a new curriculum for social work education, oh. which was what I got. And, well, and, and, what, and that, that was my entry into academia, basically. Right, and what, you stayed there for a decade? Uh, half a decade. Well, in Germany overall yes. for a decade, yes. and in Kassel five years. Yes. And meanwhile, of course, I had a partner and kids yes. and all yes. that, and yeah. I wanted to continue to work in education, in tertiary education, because I liked it, and it was it had taught me a lot. And uh, so the idea was really to, uh, you know, when you want to stay in universities at that stage, you needed to have a PhD. Yes. And uh, I didn't. And, right. Uh, so we were looking for a place. So mm. By coincidence, I had met some people from Mexico uh, on one of the conferences, yes. and uh, they wanted that same program to be done in the uh, Universitat Metropolitana, which was a new university, uh, sort of a sort of a different kind of a one, mm-hmm. contrary to the traditional universities in Mexico. Right. And uh, as I as as I was preparing to to go with the kids and all of that, the uh, 
one of the guys became vice chancellor of that university, mm-hmm. and that means that for all human purposes, you lost course. Yes. The other one went to Guadeloupe, and the third one just yeah. disappeared. Well, that's just a personal question. What did your family, your wife and kids, think about you uprooting and going to Mexico? Well, it didn't happen to Mexico because they all disappeared and that program did. Oh, right. Instead, we went to, it was good for another reason because yes. about three months later, there was the big terremoto, ah, the, the big, right. the big uh, yes. earthquake right, in yes. Mexico, which yes. destroyed a lot. That's right. So we ended up in, in the States. In the uh, States. Again, by just uh, friends and exploring mm. where would be university, mm. which would sort of be okay also. Mm. Uh, kids could sort of grow up. Me, that kind of stuff. We're, we're well, in the States. And in the States, it became Ann Arbor, the University yeah. of Michigan, right. about 100 kilometers away from Detroit. So how long did you live there for? Five years. What did you think of it? Uh, that was under Reagan. Yeah. So what do you think? When I don't know. I'm asking <laughs> you what you think. <laughs> I've never lived under Reagan. <laughs> when, I when, when you, I've yeah. lived under Morrison. Well, <laughs> it, it was, was, again, it was good learning. Right. Uh, but the, it was also good learning for life, I think, because see, I had no scholarship, no nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a little bit reckless, really, if you think about it, going yes. with three young kids. And yes. uh, and uh, we had sold our furniture, uh, in the German furniture, and we had hoped that uh, that would probably go for the first one year. Right. But uh, three months in, the uh, German dollar the German mark crashed crashed, and so we basically lost more than a third of our of our space savings so what I started to do was having little little jobs and what Brigitte my partner started to do was having doing daycare for other students in student housing uh, for their kids and so that's how we got through and in the second year I just It was not supposed to happen, but I got a, a scholarship uh, uh, from the Bush Foundation. Not mm. not those bushes, but Another the Bush. bush. Yeah, there's a lot the of bushes bush, around. There's a lot yeah. of bushes there. Especially outside the studio. Yeah, a lot one of, of the big capitalists yes. who had started a Bush yes. Foundation mm. to study the link between child development and uh, care. Right. Care and policy. Yes. And uh, I got that. And that, I wasn't supposed to get it because that was only there for... U.S. citizens, and I wasn't. But they then sort of, you know, the the coordinator put his foot down, and so I got that. That helped a lot, because that paid for the the tuition that uh, Mm. also had a bit of a stipend, Mm. a little room, stuff like that. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe, or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So why did you leave Michigan? I didn't want my kids to grow up in the US. 
You just it, didn't want to live in the US. I did. Yeah, I did not want them to grow up there. Right. Well, for what reasons? Well, it's a violent place. Uh, this at the moment, thirty thousand people. No, but I'm saying then, then. Then, well, that became clear. You know, also right. the mentality, the kind of damage done by Reagan in five, because after five years we left, uh, was just immense uh, in terms. You know, <laughs> And you would, drive tell us through, it, and you would drive through Detroit yes. in the poor black areas of yes, living. Yes. <laughs> 70, us, 70% of all houses were boarded up. Yeah. And unemployment rates in those neighbourhoods. Yeah, but they keep telling us that Reagan was the greatest uh, president the US has had uh, in the 20th they? century. Who's they? Well, that's what I'm saying. Whoever they are, don't yeah. believe them. Don't believe them. Because You're telling us that yeah. you saw you saw the actual consequences, well, and yeah, it, and obviously it, people it, like Bush and Trump were a product of those consequences. Yeah, and also yeah. and also the thing is that mm. you know there was also the time where they invaded Grenada. Why? Yes. Because of the fact that the bishop oh, well, came on yeah, well, the stu- yeah, well, stuff had, like that. Well, you know, they had what. 25,000 people? If you yeah. can't invade a country of 25,000 people, who yeah. can you invade, you know? Yeah. And they still <laughs> believe that, that Vietnam mm. was a good thing uh, mm. to have done. Yeah, so you, so know, you left. So where did you go? And, well, again, see, most of the stuff I have done in my life with official jobs mm. were by accident, or they just happened. Don't tell me you knew an Australian and you turned up here. Well, no. <laughs> the last year, in 1985, mm. at the beginning of the year, was a yearly conference where all schools of social work uh, met, basically, and it was almost like a, a sort of a, a PhD meat market where all the fresh PhDs, of course, would come and apply for jobs. And the schools of social work, they would set up interview rooms in the mm. rooms of the hotel. Mm. In the five days of the conference, I did 12 interviews. Right. Uh, and Did you like that, Kelly? A PhD meat market. Oh, I thought that was <laughs> That was brilliant. That is brilliant. We occasionally we get a, a flash of brilliance on the program, and that I'm going to use that. Oh, P- use we've got them here. PhD meat markets, especially the defence forces. Oh, terrible! They're it's only, it's, yeah. So you got twelve interviews, and what and, happened? And then uh, the last evening, and I got two offers, yes. uh, and uh, I, I would have had to take them. Mm. Uh, but also, you see, well, anyway, there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of other little stories around that. But yeah. uh, uh, the last evening of that conference, I was standing in line with my little coupon for my dinner. Uh-huh. And in front of me was another woman, was a, a woman from Oregon, with mm-hmm. whom I had had a brief conversation in a workshop. Mm-hmm. And two behind me, there was another guy where she had also, and she said, hey, let's eat together. Mm-hmm. And that guy was a, a senior, no, whatever, a reader at Melbourne Uni right. in social work. And uh, we had, for the first time in five years, conversations about Newton and Galilei and philosophy, because that never happened before. And you thought those. all us Australians said, were cultured people. And I said, wow. <laughs> and I said, wow. You know, and I, out, of, out of habit, I asked him uh, whether he would take, whether there's jobs out there. And he said, yes, we've got two jobs, a senior lecture and a lectureship. Mm-hmm. So I gave him, and asked him, would you mind taking my CV? And he said, oh, okay. Yeah. Ten days later, I got a phone call from the head of the department, yeah. social work offering me a senior lectureship. Brilliant. So, so then now you know. You turned up. <laughs> so, uh, how long did you last at Melbourne University for? Three years and a half. What? That was a dream job. 
Why did you leave a dream job? Uh, because they didn't give me that same guy didn't give me tenure. Ah, uh, because nobody the gets previous tenure. guy yeah. whom he was acting for yeah. as the head of department yeah. had been writing things in uh, in my what you call this book my 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 dossier or what 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 is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the book you know, and uh, without telling me, and so in the end he thought that I was not ready yet. Not ready. But yet. meanwhile, I had you know made friends with uh, the more radical kind of uh, population, P- and uh, yes. like Philip Institute, Pitt yes. Philip Institute yeah. at that yeah. stage was probably the most alternative yes. uh, community de- com- community development and social work kind of course, mm. and uh, they had a. You know, one of the of their principal lectures went, mm-hmm. and uh, I applied and I got that job, and right. so I became head of the department there for uh, a year, couple of years. But that was also the time in the early nineties when uh, uh, neoliberalism started to happen, mm-hmm. and particularly started to happen in in education. That's right. The green paper and the white paper of Mister What's his name. Well, that's right. Uh, yeah, look, don't worry about our. Brilliant technician, yes. Greg walking in and out. He's doing things with the dinner set, so <laughs> he's just part of the wallpaper. That's he just makes sure that the free CR stays on air Good. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. He Thank doesn't you. matter. It's you that matter. So just ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. Anyway, so that means that uh, the uh, – you know, um, I had to do all the dirty stuff around, uh-huh. particularly when uh, RMIT took over. Yes. And we lost a third of our budget and, and our soul, mm. which, you know, fit at that stage was recognised as the best school of social work in the country mm. uh, with, you know, Wendy Weeks and all of yes. those really activist people and mm. uh, Bob Peace and, yeah. Yeah, pe- people who realised that uh, social yeah, work wasn't and just... Then, yeah. yeah, and that... Right, became ever more difficult, mm. particularly also as then with the amalgamation you could become professor and all mm. of that stuff. Yes, and I was yes. never really interested in mm. becoming a real professor mm. because I know what what happens to real professors. They become administrators. Yes, well, that's what professorships yeah. is about. And, it's not about yeah. research. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so that's why uh, I then started to figure out, is this the place where you want to be? I resigned as head of department. Mm. And had a bit of sabbatical for months and made sort of a tour around the world to revisit some of the places I had been and uh, to figure out together with them, people who knew me, uh, whether, what I should do. Mm. And I came back uh, and I saw what was happening to universities everywhere. I, I spent some time in Africa, in Nairobi, where the University of, of uh, Kenya in Nairobi, uh, University of Nairobi in Kenya, had actually been told that they needed to make 30% of their income themselves. Yes. Wait, yes. Wait, 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 from what? From what? You yeah. know. Yeah. Then I went to uh, Belgium to visit some old friends there. Uh, the uh, center, Centrum for, uh, which was probably one of the first ones uh, in the 70s already to give people from third world countries their own voice right. without interference without telling them that's not how you say it, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, with uh, and with a, a guy who was running that who I knew very well from before and the University of Leuven uh, he, he had created a fantastic center 
And uh, one, one day to, from one day to the other, a university tells him, well, he will have to now up his income and his revenue yes, and all of that. Yeah. So he, he packed up his stuff mm-hmm. and re-established it just outside of the university and oh, still there now, still, still there. very much. So what happened to you? And I thought, my God, if that... Mm-hmm. Then I went to Chile mm-hmm. and uh, did some, spent two months with Manfred Max Neve, mm-hmm. the barefoot economist, yes. and mm-hmm. in Valdivia. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had been promised all manner of things, <laughs> and you know, it's it, it just amazing. The uh, about two months after his inauguration, uh, they cut the funding to that university by about twenty percent, mm-hmm. and told him where to cut. Yes. And it was particularly to cut in those departments which had been operative in getting him elected because that's yes. a very political process there to, yep. to, to to choose or to elect a vice chancellor. So I thought, oh my God, if that's what's happening everywhere, why you know? And so I came back to Australia. Uh, that was eighty. F- no, that was ninety-five. Ninety-four, and I told my colleagues, "I'm going to go. This mm. is not where I want to spend the rest of my life. Where you feel that all of your intentions as an educator and as a social change person are being turned into, into their opposite." They will be. The key word is yeah. monetarized. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. And mon- turn, everything yeah. becomes a commercial right. transaction. And I just, I was mm. just saying, I was then so entering my fifties. By now, by now, you your children would be. Wouldn't have left the nest by then, would they? The nineties. Uh, in the nine, the mid nineties, uh, Mark was eighty. Boy, he was born. Is born in seventy four. So what was he? Twenty-ish, uh, and he was university. Yeah. So it's, it's a time when you need money as a family. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so what did you do? Well, I just went, and uh, you went. What do you mean you went? Well, you went on the dull. The thing is that. RMIT yes. uh, wanted to downsize, as you right. do in neoliberalism, yep. and they offered uh, some. Uh, I, not, I, <laughs> they often talk about these things as golden handshakes. Yes, it, it was not even a wooden handshake, <laughs> and yeah, and and said so. So uh, <laughs> altogether, it, it turned out to be something like fifty thousand yeah. dollars, and I decided that half of what of that mm. I was going to invest in whatever it was that I was going to do. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, with community development being defunded everywhere, with uh, the, the policies in Australia, Kenneth, 72, mm. remember? Yeah, yeah. You do remember? 92, 92 yeah, <laughs> yeah, we remember. Yeah, yeah. all of that, and then 96, Howard, yeah, all yeah. of that stuff started mm. to be yeah, severe so how did, you, how, how did you survive? How did you survive? Well... Uh, just starting projects. We started the Borderlands Cooperative right. uh, in uh, '97. So, what's the what was the Borderland Cooperative? And what uh, is it? It uh, just a place where people could come and talk about what it was that didn't work, that wasn't working, that they would like to see working, and all of that. A place where conversations around social change, around community development, social action, all of that, mm. where they could happen. Right. And uh, where we would also, because many of us and friends had academics and all of that, we, we knew how to do research, and uh, thinking that through that kind of activity we could mm. make enough money. Right. I also was invited '97 and the following years to do some work in Congo with in Congo in Hong Kong. Right. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, where with the uh, Polytechnic University in a social work program there. 
And uh, that gave me enough money, you know, to, to wow. survive without other income mm -hmm. for another four months or something. So mm -hmm. and I went for several years, twice a year, three times a year sometimes, mm -hmm. to Hong Kong for a week or two. Yes. And uh, so we then started to get projects, research projects, uh, development projects, all of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Borderlands Cooperative uh, has a very simple kind of a way of thinking about money. 80% goes to, goes to the people who do the work, 20% mm -hmm. stays with the cooperative. Right. We wanted to become a cooperative. Uh, when we started it, I had started to, with other friends, talk and dream about a thing like that. Cooperative, you yes. know, where is it that we can actually mm. be together and, and, and dream a bit? And, well, that's right. With and, a cooperative, you don't get rich, but you mm. do. That's right. Develop and, and you do develop right. yourself and you do yeah. provide yeah. important right. information and yeah. knowledge to and the community at large. That's right. And by then I had mm. enough networks, enough people around to, mm. Uh, mm. you know, who, who knew that, I, that that was part of the dream and yes. we started to then look where could it be, what a place, where, you know, all of that. So are you still working with the cooperative now? Oh, yeah. yeah. What type of projects? Yeah, I know. What type of projects is the cooperative uh, Initially doing it was, well, yeah. we moved to Footscray mm. uh, about three years ago. Yep. Uh, first, we were in Camberwell, mm -hmm. in uh, another Anglican church. We can see with churches, uh, Catholic and Christian churches, meanwhile, they've got less and less people, but more and more real estate. Yes. And, and which then stands empty. So it's, uh, it's really a good, there are good places to start you know, different things. Things, yeah. Uh, until such moment where they want to make more money out of their real estate, which yes. has happened. Well, they've got uh, to pay their debts. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Mm. So uh, projects were mostly to do with research evaluation because that was also the time where evaluation was an obligatory part of funding for mm. lots of projects, you yes. know, in governments or even philanthropy. Right. Funded, you were supposed to spend at least 5 to 10% of what you got on evaluation. That, unfortunately, has gone by the wayside thanks yes. to neoliberalism. Mm who now just exactly tell you what so-called outcomes you need to achieve yes. or to mm. deliver, as they call it. it just, mm. yeah. So how but many uh, people are involved in the cooperative? Uh, we, we are a shareholding cooperative mm. uh, with uh, not-for-profit shareholding. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so not distributing mm. a, a cooperative. Uh, it depends how you look at it. Uh, an active core, active uh, core, yeah. An active core of something, and it's less now because mm. the move to Footscray plus COVID didn't do us any no, good. No. Uh, but uh, probably up till then, 10, 20 people, mm -hmm. because we also had many other organisations who came either joined us or started at Borderlands. Right. We had people who had a good idea and. Mm -hmm. uh, using the space and the resources we had and the infrastructure we had to start their own thing. Mm. And as soon as they then could make a bit of money, mm. we would ask them to help us pay the rent, yes. and pay the yeah. infrastructure and, mm. uh, and the IT stuff. Mm. So about 20, we have something like 110 shareholders mm -hmm. and about four or 500 people mm -hmm. on the... Uh, 
on, on our information list, if you want, mm. where we send newsletters to. Mm. We also started to restart the new community, which used to be out there as the community quarterly, starting in 83. And it was the only community development journal in Australia. Mm. It went belly up in 2000, and we didn't like it to go belly up, so we brought it out again in 2003. Mm -hmm. So we're now in our 20th year with that. I'm the editor of it, mm -hmm. uh, so four times a year, mm -hmm. and we started uh, the, the, uh, 3CR. the 3CR, the Think Again program, three and a half years ago. Three and a half years ago. So, so, so well, is, what's mm -hmm. your relationship been like with 3CR? You've federation members, or do you just use the yeah, no, federation members, members as well right. as uh, yeah? Mm. Uh, I think. With COVID, it was probably a fantastic thing to have because lots of other things didn't work. Mm. People who usually would drop in didn't drop in anymore no, and no. things like that. And mm. also, it's one way. We're pretty similar in terms of our orientation yes. to social things, to society, mm. to yep. political things. So it's been a good association. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm. Certainly, certainly. Mm. Now, if people want to um, pursue... Borderline. Are there any borderlines? Borderlines. Sorry. Are there any? Um, You're a bit borderline, but anyway. Yeah, you can borderline borderlines. <laughs> I'm sure you've been borderline a few times <laughs> on the edge, but you've uh, right. you've re regrouped. Yeah. Uh, if they want to learn more about it, mm -hmm. uh, when's the program on? Which uh, on here at three CR on Fridays ten o'clock in the morning, right? And repeat on Monday morning six thirty, right? And uh, obviously you've got a website. We have a website, yes, www.borderlands.org.au. Yeah. 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 I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Ooh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, she's a brilliant producer, I tell you. I mean, you know, I mean, she, yeah. she lets me do the talking, but I'm afraid she does all the organisation. You're too kind. <laughs> well, I'm not yeah. kind. I'm just telling people the reality, you know. Mm. As I said, Jack walked in and I just ignored him. He, he's wondering, who's this bloke? When he walked in, he had no idea I was going to interview him because uh, I don't like talking to the people I'm going to interview because I'm oh, like, okay. you know, that's why I make mistakes like borderline, borderlands, you know. It's, <laughs> and, so you're wondering, yeah, yeah and, who is borderline? <laughs> <laughs> so with borderlands, um, mm -hmm. how do you become a shareholder? Just give us a hundred dollars. That's it? No, and, you know, we talk We talk about, you know, what we are and, uh -huh. and if you don't like us still and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And whatever it is, you then yeah. get access. We have a big library. We have uh, mm. we used to have sixteen thousand books, uh, which we needed to thin out because mm. our place in Footscray is not that large, and also we needed to update it anyway. Uh, are you open during office hours? Can mm -hmm. people wander in? Or? Mm. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So if they want to make an appointment, is there a phone number or something? Or there is a phone number. Uh, Nine eight one nine three two three nine nine eight one nine three two three nine. Right, and where in Footscray is it? It's a thirty A Pickett Street. It's in the Bluestone Hall in the back of the Anglican Church. Ah, and uh, uh, the Anglican Church is on Paisley Street. Yeah, and we are at the back, at the uh, back. with right. access from Pickett Street. Right, now, yeah. very close to the, to now, the station. Obviously, obviously, mm. you are a great example of what to do when you're retired. Because there's no such thing as retirement, is there? Well, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, otherwise you'd be looking at days of our lives and uh, married at first sight on television and going on, you know, streaming programs. Yeah. What do you think? Look, you're nearly 80. You make me look like a slob, you know. <laughs> you, you are physically 
brilliant. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure you're on no medications of any type. Hey, I, I don't want admirers. No, no, it's not admirers. Stop I, it right there. I want, to, I want to know how to get to this. How do you keep well? Uh, you intellectually, you are, well, intellectually, you're as sharp as a tack, and you, you'll be 80 in a few months. Yeah, What's your secret? There's no secret, really. Keeping busy. Keeping, keeping busy, busy. Keeping friends. Keeping... Yeah. For me, the most forgotten thing I figure in our society nowadays and in our culture mm. is relating. What? <laughs> yeah, I thought we were, I thought we related with computers. Oh yeah, <laughs> all well, the it's all about the virtual world. Yeah, you're telling me it's no, about the real world. That's half the problem. The other half of the problem is our narcissism. You know, our self-centeredness, which mm. is so mm. being cultivated mm. by by capitalism, mm. as you would know, and mm. by mm. Uh, consumerism and all of those isms. Which mm. uh, and so re- re- resisting that, uh, you know, being helpful to one another. So you, so you thinking rec- a lot, writing yeah. a lot. Yeah. So you reckon sitting down and having a cup of tea or a wine with somebody, having a conversation, is it? It's better than actually, you know, playing games on the net. It certainly is. I can't believe it. It's That's extraordinary. <laughs> what's wrong with you, Jack? Well, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, <laughs> that's the trouble with your classical education because that's what you had. You know, you think human relationships should be at a face-to-face uh, level. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. how about all these? How about all this? Crap we did during COVID nineteen. What do they call it when you? What was it? Zooming. Zooming. I did yeah. one. I did one. Th- I'm a doctor. I did one zooming consultation. I said, mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. No way. No way. Yeah, no we, way. Oh, we we had to. Also yeah, you have to, to. You have to. Yeah. Also to to stay on air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I, I, I just used to telephone. Mm. It was easy. We used to telephone people, didn't we, during that period? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we're really glad that you're here face to face. It's Great, isn't it? For so long, it was just all on the blower. No, no it makes yeah. a huge difference. Do you um, yeah. present the show as well as doing the technical oh, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Jennifer and I, yeah. Jennifer Borrell and I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or we do interview other people, whatever. Yeah, yes, yeah. we do. What do you like? I'm about not the that show? good at the technical side. Yeah. Jennifer is much better. Yeah, Jack, but, Jack, I'm Jack, learning. Don't, don't do the technical side. <laughs> I mean, I made a decision 45 years ago when I started. I was going to do nothing technical. You know why? Because you need to be able to concentrate okay. on what you're thinking mm. and you need to concentrate on the person on what you're, you're talking to. <laughs> you can't multitask, basically. No, <laughs> multitasking is a capitalist invention. I thought it was a woman's invention. No, it's a capitalist invention <laughs> to tie us to technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, human relationships, we have, we have evolved mm-hmm. as social beings. And people, that's what social work is about. People have forgotten. We are social beings. It is a bit new speak, isn't it? Like multitasking. Oh, when did that bullshit. come through in like the 90s? Yeah, yeah it is. But yeah. also, it's now, meanwhile, research has shown that it actually d- diminishes the quality of what is being tasked. That's right. It it really diminishes it yep. because how 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 would how would it not? Mm. You know, so we're, we're not sort of omnipotent in that kind of way of thinking. Yeah. The brain isn't the brain didn't evolve mm. to multitask. It okay. evolved to concentrate on That's a particular right. thing. Obviously, you kept your ears open in case mm. there was a yeah. saber toothed tiger yeah. behind you, yeah. but you concentrated on what yeah. you were doing. That's right. So before mm. we throw you out, mm. you don't look at the clock. I don't look at the clock. Kelly looks at the clock. <laughs> Before you throw out, yeah. three things people can do to have a long, productive life like you. Oh, my goodness. Three. I think don't take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. That's probably the beginning. 
because I noticed by myself that when, once I start doing that, I lose the plot. The second is I already said, keep relating with people and keep relating with the non-human. Uh, you can do that by trying to understand how plants stay alive and mm -hmm. what plants may mean for us and all of that. And third, resist a lot of the stuff which you supposedly have to do but which in some ways domesticates you to do yeah to, to become you. enslaved really you become yeah. enslaved that's yeah, right so those are probably mm. three and just just out of well dr jacques boulet <laughs> thank you very much for coming and having a chat with mm -hmm. us thanks for thank having thank you me. very much kelly for keeping this on air despite the interruptions from Been our technician great thank you thanks both and it was an honor to be here really so there you go Damana Ramaja Javana Jarago my mado Ramaja Jarobe Javana Yongba Tolangalana Yorega Doboga Malavala Vedevara Palamarpa Cup Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to threecr.org.au and get in touch. CR855, get your slice of local film action every Thursday at 11am. For half an hour, get a dose of what's new. And who's who in the art of film. Join Annie and Muhammad for Showreel on Thursday, 11am, 3CR 855 on your AM dial. See you then. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6pm Tuesdays.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.